time for re-engineering your finances with the founder of CP Weldy Group, Charles Weldy. Hey there, it's another edition of Re-Engineering Your Finances with Charles Weldy, the founder and uh, certified financial planner at CP Weldy Group. You can find us online at cpweldygroup.com. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about should you follow these popular rules of thumb? Should make for a great conversation. You'll probably recognize some of these rules. And we're going to tell you, are they really rules? Because rules we're supposed to follow, Charles, but I don't know. I think we might be rule breakers on today's show. What do you think? Eh, you know what? I think we'll probably break a couple, Walter, for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll follow some. Maybe we'll break a few. We're going to find out on the show today. So you've most likely heard plenty of rules that you're supposed to follow in retirement especially. You know, follow this rule and you'll be successful, that sort of thing. And some of these things, Charles, I mean, before we even get into the specific ones here, they're stated so confidently that you'd be kind of crazy not to accept them as fact. But you and I don't mind being called a little crazy from time to time, right? So oh, uh, absolutely. I think we're, we'll dive into these and see if indeed these rules of thumb lead us astray or if they take us down a good financial path. Uh, before we dive into the specific rules, Charles, I'm just curious, when you meet with clients, do you see when they come in for the first time, are, th- are they following these rules that we're about to go over today? Have people heard of these? Are they? Is this kind of what they're leaning on in terms of the foundation or the basis of their financial knowledge and planning? Well, I think um, basically, you know, the four percent rule. I think most people are aware of whether it's you know true or not. Will you know it remains to be seen. But um, I would just say the four percent rule is probably prevalent to most people. And um, the rule seventy two. When we get to that, I mean, I love that rule. You know, I think people should be aware of it and always have that in the back of their mind. We do at least have one good rule, it sounds like, on the docket for today, so that's a good thing. All right, well, we'll save the 4% rule for last, and let's start out with some of these other ones, and, and we'll also get to that rule of 72 that you mentioned there. And we've got six rules in total to go over today. So the first one is the rule of 100. What is that, Charles? Uh, why has it been used in the past, and is it something we can rely on today? Well, it's just a, a guide. It says 100 minus your age is the amount that you should have at risk, you know, and at risk, I consider equity. So in an example where someone say 70 years old, 100 minus 70 equals 30%. In theory, they should not, not have more than 30% of their money in equities. But the reality, Walter, is like, hey, you know, you've got people that haven't saved enough, people that maybe oversaved. So as a general rule, maybe it's a place to start. But if I have a client that, you know, is, has longevity, they're going to live for a while and they don't really have much in terms of uh, an account balance, uh, they'd be foolish not to maybe have a larger portion in equity. So it's something to start with, but by and large, everyone's different. You know, I find that most people who are living longer, I mean, general populations living longer, probably should have a little bit more of our money in equities as opposed to, uh, you know, 100 minus our age. That's a pretty good, uh, pretty good example. And maybe some of these rules do follow what you kind of said there. Hey, this is a guideline. This is a starting point. Maybe these just at least get the conversation started for folks. They're an entry-level sort of understanding of things sometimes. That might be a good one. I mean, I think that's a great way that you described the rule of 100 there. We'll see if that bears true for some of these others. 
Uh, there's also this 75% rule, although I guess we've also heard it called the 80% rule, Charles. Maybe it's kind of like uh, you know pronouncing things differently depending on where in the country you live. So <laughs> tell us yeah. about the 75 or 80% rule. Yeah, so they basically, in here in the Philadelphia area, it's called the 80% rule. And what it says is, hey, whatever your salary is, your annual salary, when you go to retirement, you're probably going to spend 80% of your annual salary. I mean, it sounds good, you know, initially, but, you know, if you have somebody making a hundred grand, 80% of a hundred grand is 80,000. Seems like it's reasonable in terms of retirement income. But somebody making, say, 200 grand, 80% of that's like 160. So, you know, my caveat is like, look, you know, again, let's start there. But by and large, what's your actual expenses? I mean, do you have the bulk of your money in pre tax accounts where your tax liability is going to be higher? You know, do you uh, have to currently have a mortgage? You know, do you travel a lot? And will you be traveling a lot like, you know, 10, 15 years down the road? How's your health? You know, do you have a budget for that? So I think, again, you know, the 80% rule, the 75% rule, whatever you want to call it, uh, something to be aware of. But by and large, I think you really got to crunch the numbers and kind of see what your, you know, income needs are and then act accordingly. Good points on that one, Charles. All right, that's the 80% rule, we'll call it, uh, not the 75% rule based on the uh, geographic area there. <laughs> All right, well, let's get to one of your favorites then, since those first two uh, don't seem to get you too excited there, Charles. What about the rule of 72? Why do you like that one so much? So the rule of 72 says you take 72 divided by the rate of return that you expect from your investments, and that tells you how long, what length of time it's going to take for you to double your money. So I like it because... As you know, we've done like many podcasts in the past, Walter, and I'm a avid fan of the bucket plan. And the bucket plan really says you have three, you know, different types of money. You have maybe cash for emergency use or, you know, money in the bank that is there for, um, you know, just for comfort. You have money that you're going to have to pull consistently month to month to month. And, you know, perhaps that money has to be invested more conservatively because you want to make sure that when you pull the money out, you don't pull it out of an account that went down in value because you'll never get it back. And then the third bucket is really a growth bucket where, in, in, you know, in most cases, you know, it's composed of equities where, you know, you're going to grow your money over time. So, um, you know, the rule 72 fits perfectly in that scenario. If I take, um, and again, I'm fairly conservative, but my belief is that, hey, you know, the stock market after fees, you know, uh, will give you 6% a year. All right. Some people might say, Charles, you're being too conservative, should be higher, but that's my number. I'm going with it. All right. So if I take 72 divided by 6%, all right. Basically, in 12 years, whatever I have in that later bucket is going to double in value. Do you follow that? I'm following. Yep. All right. Now, the middle bucket is conservative income. And generally speaking, that's in fixed income. It could be fixed index annuities, fixed annuities. It could be like a conservative uh, account where it's, it's, you know, heavily weighted in bonds. And basically, you know, my projection for that type of account will be 3% a year. So if I take 72 divided by three, it's going to take me 24 years for that bucket to double, right? And then lastly, the first bucket is cash. And generally speaking, cash really doesn't get much of anything. Let's call it 1%. It's going to take 72 years for your cash to double. So, you know, when people look at it from that perspective, cash, 72 years to double, fixed income, 24 years to double, stocks, 12 years to double, they would really be, you know, better served by really like, 
kind of creating, hey, what do I need in each bucket to have a comfortable retirement? And the rule 72 uh, could give them a lot of comfort because without crunching numbers on the calculator, they could have a pretty good idea what each bucket will be worth down the road. These are great points, Charles. We're talking about these rules of thumb. Should you follow them? Should you not? If you've got any questions for Charles, by the way, as we go through today's show, give him a call at 610-388-7705. That's 610-388-7705. Or you can go to cpweldygroup.com. And we'll put that contact info in the description of today's show so things are easy on you. Uh, we've also got this rule of five. What is the rule of five? That just sounds too simple. Simplistic. <laughs> yeah. So the, the rule of five, I got this, um, you know, this, I guess, analysis that I'm going to share with everyone from a fellow by the name of Nick Murray. He's a, he's a financial planner up in New York. You know, he's well noted in the industry. He's a great speaker. I think he's in his mid 70s. He's been around the block. And basically, he says since World War II, there have been 20 bear markets. Now, a bear market, Walter, is defined as a decrease of 20% or more in the value of your equities. And basically, uh, the average bear has been 30%. So since World War II, there's been 20 bear markets. It really is about like once every five years, we're going to experience a bear market. So I think, you know, that's the reality that people have to be aware of. Um, and the volatility will actually, you know, the short-term volatility will create the long-term return. That's another thing that Nick says. And I think you'd be surprised, like I have a chart that I'm looking at, um, and basically it says, uh, and I'll, I'll ask you this question, since 1926, right, I have a chart of the stock market from 26 through 2021, right? So we got 96 years, right? So in the 96 years, the average return of the uh, stock market was 10%, about 10%. You follow that? And you've probably heard of that before, Yeah, right? 10%. Mm-hmm. So, so here's the question, right? So... Um, of those, like, uh, since 1926, how many years has that been? 90-some years, right? Uh, 71. Yeah, 96 years. In the last 96 years, the average return of the stock market, you know, equity stock market, has been about 10%. How many of those years do you think the returns have been between 8% and 12%, which is 2% less than the 10 and 2% more than the 10 so of those like 96 years, Walter, how many years do you think the stock market did 8, 9, 10, 11, or 12%? Ooh, hmm. Well, I know there's a lot of volatility, so I imagine we have some that are way higher than that, some that are way lower than that, obviously, with crashes and those kinds of things. So how many are actually hitting near that average? Yes. I don't know. I'll, I'll go with the, a quarter. A quarter of the years fall within that. So 20, oh, it's 20, like 20. Yeah, it's actually been seven. Only right? seven. Okay, seven years of the past 96, right? Yeah, you, you would know, think th- that you'd have a lot more hitting in that. If that's the average, you'd have exactly, a lot more hitting there. Exactly. Yeah. So with that, tell, well, actually, like, you know, a little bit more elaboration, you know, the highs have been as high as 54 and the lows is, uh, as low as minus 43. But the reality of it is what that tells me is that, you know, no panic, no sell, no sell, no lose. You need to have equities invested for the long term, you know, uh, according to your time horizon, perhaps in a later bucket. And when, not if, markets go down. And we just saw that every five years or roughly an average every five years is a bear market. You know, you're going to be well served if you don't panic and sell out. All right. So uh, it can come back as fast as it went down. So, uh, again, you have to have a, a plan and a strategy to deal with volatility. 
Boy, it's a great breakdown of the rule of five and just why that can be so misleading. And uh, that is a uh, a good one to remember so that you can really not put much stock in it, right? Some of these things are good to have in the back of our minds so we recognize them and say, oh, yeah, okay, I'm not going to pay much attention to that particular one. Exactly. Right. You mentioned the 10, you know, the 10%. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily this next rule, but it is also the rule of 10. What direction does that one take us in? So I never heard of this before. Rule 10, it says have 10 times your salary saved for retirement by age 67. So I kind of did the math. Let's just say somebody makes 100000 a year. That's a million dollars they should have by the age of 67. Uh, I mean, it sounds realistic. I mean, I'm not, you know, pro or con that, but, you know, the reality of it is, is it just gives you a figure uh, of a million dollars in that example. And for me, I generally take, you know, whatever they have in their account balance and I divide it by a certain percent and then I determine, hey, do they have enough or not enough? And, we'll, you know, the percent I divide it by is four and a half. We're going to see, you know, a minute or two, the four percent rule where, you know, my thought process might differ a little bit. But by and large, the rule of 10 sounds like it's reasonable. But again, if somebody's making 200000 a year, that would mean they need $2 million. And uh, when they reach 67, 4% of 2 million is 80,000 plus their social security. I guess it's like kind of in the ballpark. So I would say like, hey, you know what? Never heard of it before, but it's something that, you know, uh, might be a, a guide as to whether you're, you know, close to retirement or need to work a few more years to get to that magic number. We'll, uh, we'll throw that one in with the rule of 100, where it's, it's obviously not going to answer all the questions involved in the planning process, but at least gets the conversation started in the right direction, maybe something like that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. Well, last but not least, we get to the one that you mentioned most people have heard of when they come in to meet with you. So that's the one we should definitely break down. What about that 4% rule? So uh, let me ask you this, Walter. Do you know where they came up with the 4% rule? Um, no, I don't. What What's the origin of it? I mean, here's the thing. I, I don't know if this is like a fact or not, but this is like what I'm going on. I think what they do is they take 100 divided by 4% and they get 25 years. And they figure the average couple might retire at age 65. And then you add 25 years. And now you're up to age 90. So I think that's kind of how they get it. You know, don't quote me on that. But by and large, you know, I'm going with that. The 4% Seems rule. to make sense. And when yeah. life expectancies were lower, you know, that that was giving you plenty of headroom, right? If you were planning to 95. Exactly. So if people have a 25, 30 year retirement, there's the 4% rule. But, you know, the, the problem with the 4% rule is that if you don't have your money segregated into different phases of retirement, like the income phase of retirement, the growth phase of retirement, you might be pulling money out of an equity that went down in value and you'll never, ever, ever get that money back again. So the 4% rule might be, you know, a good rule to follow, but you have to make sure that you have your assets located strategically so that when you're taking 4% of your investment account balance out, you're taking it out of an account that does not go down in value because you'll never, ever, ever make that money up again. It's called sequence of returns risk. And uh, that's one of the biggest problems that I see when people come in to get a financial plan is that they have one portfolio where if they had two or three of them, they would be better served because they'd have two or three different investment strategies for each bucket. So 4% rule you you see is kind of uh, outdated at this point? 
Uh, I mean, you know, Morningstar says uh, it should be three. Somebody else says it should be two and a half. I'm using four and a half because, you know, I have certain strategies where I know that, you know, well, I don't know, but I really believe strongly that, um, you know, they're not going to run out of money if their assets are strategically located in, you know, maybe tax-free accounts, after-tax accounts, you know, a nice balance between pre-tax, post-tax, and tax-free, where, again, most clients that come into my office, they have the bulk of their money in pre-tax accounts. So when they take that money out, there's a toll charge. And uh, obviously, you know, you got to account for that with the 4% rule. Great points across the board, Charles. Thank you for breaking all of these rules of thumb down. So there you have it, six of the most popular rules of thumb. Should you follow them? Should you not? Charles, with uh, the guidance on each of those. If you've got further questions about how these rules of thumb, obviously, then play into your own financial plan. You know, what does it look like to get that custom plan in place? And not just kind of go off of these general rules of thumb. How, you, we can use these as conversation starters, but to really do planning, you've got to come in, have a conversation, really look at your numbers, your goals in retirement, and Charles walks you through that planning process. And if you want to do that, you can pick up the phone, give Charles a call. Again, at 610-388-7705, 610-388-7705, and online at cpweldygroup.com. Well, Charles, thank you so much for the help on the show today. Really enjoyed the conversation with you, and we will have another episode on tap in a couple of weeks. Thank you, Walter. All right. We appreciate it. That's Charles Weldy. I'm Walter Storholt. Uh, Once again, contact information in the description of today's show in case you need it. And until next time, have a great one, everybody. And we'll see you on Reengineering Your Finances on the next episode. Financial planning and advisory services are offered through Prosperity Capital Advisors, PCA, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Registration as an investment advisor does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The CP Weldy Group and PCA are separate, non-affiliated entities. PCA does not provide tax or legal advice.